Good morning, my name is Susan, and I'll be reading today's scripture, which comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. And now, let's give our attention to the preaching of God's word. Thank you, Susan, for reading today's God, God's word for us today. Good morning. My name is Dan, and happy New Year's Eve. Uh, I serve here as one of the pastors on staff, and it's my joy to share God's word with us this morning. Before we dive into God's word, would you join me in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we have heard your word read, <clears throat> would you now also bless the preaching of your word? Lord, would you minimize the inadequacies of the preacher and maximize the sufficiency of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as you speak to us this morning? Encourage the weary, stir up the complacent, and be glorified as we worship you this morning. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The title for today's sermon is Into the Unknown, and it comes from a song and a movie a couple years back. Uh, even if you haven't seen the movie, you'll probably know it. It's from Frozen 2. It's been played so much that at a certain point, I forgot it existed because I blotted it out of my memory. But just to kind of describe where this song comes in the movie, not too many spoilers, I'll share a little bit about it. Elsa, the character who sings this song, is established as queen of her kingdom, but she senses a voice calling out to her to enter into the unknown. And I'm just going to read for us one of the verses early on in that song, and it goes like this. Everyone I've ever loved is here within these walls. I'm sorry, secret siren, but I'm blocking out your calls. I've had my adventure. I don't need something new. I'm afraid of what I'm risking if I follow you into the unknown. You know, this last phrase, into the unknown, perhaps this song just captures how I feel as we end 2023 and enter into the unknown that is 2024. You know, a lot has happened this year, not just all the things that were captured in the video, but for some of us, maybe we've moved schools, we've moved up, we've moved away, moved jobs, moved cities even. We've had the opportunity to welcome new family members into this world and also say, see you later to others who go before us. Some plans worked out, other efforts fell through, and some hopes we're still waiting for that one day will become true. 
There was no blueprints, no turn-by-turn directions for this past year, just navigating the unknown one day, one step at a time. And now here we are at the end of 2023, going into 2024. Maybe you're like me, where the new year brings a sense of both excitement and dread, energy and anxiety, hope and fear. Why? Because there's so much we don't know. There's so many unknowns as we enter the year 2024. And so I want to ask for us today as we consider this text, where can we find stability? An anchor. Something to ground our lives as we enter into this new year of so many unknowns. What what Susan read for us earlier is a portion from Paul's letter to the city of Colossae, to the Christians there whom he's never met. He's only heard about them through a servant named Epaphras. And so Paul and Timothy write this letter from Rome because they hear that certain believers were tempted to look away from Christ. It could have been worldly priorities. It could be conflicting religious worldviews. It could be good-intentioned regulations. Yet it was threatening to off-center the Christians in there from Christ. And it's into this setting that Paul encourages fellow believers, encourages you and I to find our center, to find our anchor in Christ who was sufficient for us at the beginning of our Christian life and in every season of our Christian life, known or unknown. And that's Paul's point for us this morning. That's Paul's encouragement that the Christian life starts and stays in Christ. The Christian life starts and stays in Christ. And so we're gonna look at this text through three points, how Paul breaks it down for us. First, Paul gives a thanks for his brothers in Colossae. And secondly, he lifts up a prayer for them before finally explaining how all of this can be good. All the unknowns, all the joys, all the sorrows, all the thanks, all the prayers can be good for us. And my hope and prayer for us is that this morning we would see how Christ truly is sufficient for both the start and for us to stay in Christ all seasons of our lives. And so let's turn to our first point, the thanks which Paul gives. And Paul starts his letter just like most other letters in giving thanks. And if you've read Paul enough, you'll be pretty quick to just move past the thanks, but let me slow us down here just to really consider where Paul is writing to us from. See, Paul is not writing from the comfort of a home, just sipping on a cup of coffee or whatever else, whatever luxury he might have, no. Paul, most scholars believe at this time, has made it to Rome, not comfortably, but imprisoned awaiting the end of his journey. And even then, to get to this point, he's gone through so many ups, so many times where he sees the gospel at work, and so many times where he's faced nothing but rejection and prison, shipwreck and suffering. And it's the same Paul, despite all that he's gone through, not because of his circumstances that he gives thanks, but he gives thanks because he sees God at work in him and in the believers in Colossae that he's writing to. That's what we see in verse four to five, that Paul's thanksgiving was all about the Colossians. Your faith in Christ Jesus, the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. This triad of Christian virtues, faith, hope, and love, they're mutually reinforcing as faith in Christ in the Colossians would lead them to love for Christ's people. 
And as they experienced love for Christ's people, what would happen? Their hope for greater fullness in Christ would increase. And as their hope increases, so too does their faith increase. See, you need all three to have a healthy, functioning Christian life. Take out any one, take out any two, and all of a sudden you just don't have a healthy, functioning Christian life. It's like a tripod, if you know what that is. That's a three-legged thing to stabilize something on top. Imagine a tripod that's missing two legs, so it only has one leg, a monopod. Sure, it can stand, sure, it can support something, but what does it need? It needs external support to be stable. There's no way if you let go of that monopod will it stand by itself. It will fall. So then you bring two. Now it has two legs, it's mutually supporting, but even then, it cannot stand by itself. What you need is that third leg to come in, to be part of that tripod so it becomes a functioning tripod. In the same way for the Christian life, we need faith, we need hope, and we need love. And we see this also summarized for us in the Westminster Confession of Faith. What this is, it's a summary document of what the Reformed Christians believe, we as a Reformed Church also believe, And in talking about good works, when we live our Christian life, it says this. In Westminster Confession of Faith 16.2, these good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruits and evidence of a true and lively faith. And it ends by saying that they may have the end, eternal life. You see, these good works that God commands them to do, what does God command us to do? To love neighbor, to love our brother and sister, to love Christ, We see here love commanded, and yet how do we find the strength? How do we find the motivation to love? It comes from our faith in Christ Jesus. It's an evidence. It's a fruit. It's a result of the faith that we have, and what does that result ultimately lead to? The hope that we have, the end, the eternal life. Faith, hope, love, all necessary for us to have a healthy, functioning Christian life. And for Paul, when he's hearing about the Colossians, he gives thanks because he sees all of these three things. He gives thanks not just because they're present, but because they are evidences, the faith, hope, and love are evidences that the gospel is at work in the Colossians, that God is present with the Colossians. Paul gives thanks for that in verse 5 to 7, that the gospel that was bearing fruit in all the world is increasing in all the world. Paul has seen this. Paul has been a witness to this in verse 5 and 7. He says in verse 6 in particular that the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing also among you. The gospel was doing its work. Their demonstration of faith, hope, and love all stemmed from the gospel which they heard which they understood, which they learned, and they were ultimately saved by. The point of Paul's thanksgiving is to lead us to thanks to God, that the gospel powerfully at work, powerfully experienced, is an evidence and a result of God's gospel powerfully proclaimed in the lives of Christians. And you know, whenever we read stuff like this, we can always imagine, what would Paul say about our church? I'm always curious, what what would Paul say? What would he include in the thanks? I would argue the gospel is at work here. And thanks to the creative team and thanks to Sam Park for taking a lot of those videos because 
It just shows us a glimpse, just a short three to four minute glimpse of how the gospel is powerfully at work here in and through CCSC. It was at work in the good times as we saw Pastor Daniel Dinko Kim give thanks to Christ Central for all that God has done, training him and his wife Priscilla, sending them out with core team members. And whenever I can meet with these core team members, wow, the gospel is at work. God really does answer our prayers. God has given us this privilege to partner with, send out, plant, and support Kindred Church, and the gospel is at work there. Not just in our sending out, the gospel is at work here as well. Through different events, such as VBS, Fall Festival, our youth retreat, through events like that, or even the daily things, such as what our COT team does, what our safety team does. You almost don't see them because they're so good at doing what they do to keep us safe and make sure that all we need to come and focus on is the gospel. The gospel is at work through them. The gospel is at work as we support missionaries, as we got to see up there as well. We can support them financially. We support them prayerfully. And even more recently, we were able to support them personally as we sent out a team to personally encourage these mission teams. But last but not least, perhaps most recently, the gospel is at work as we saw and we got to celebrate God's covenant faithfulness as we baptized infants, as we got to confirm some youth students, and we got to see an adult give their life over to Christ, to be baptized and say that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. The gospel is at work here at Christ Central in the good times, but it's also at work in the hard times. As long as 2023 has been, some of us, 2023 has been marked as a year of difficulty, sickness, illness, accidents, cancer, death. 2023 may have been marked by you losing your job, by you having to make adjustments and wondering, is life always going to be like this or is something better going to come? Feeling stuck, feeling unsure. And we ask, how is the gospel at work in these hard times? What's well, at work when brothers and sisters come together to share burdens, to be honest with one another and cry out to God, God, would you help this brother and sister? but not just to cry out in prayer together, not just to support one another together, but when we each help one another, look to the hope that we have, not in this earthly tent, as Pastor Andrew preached previously, not in an earthly tent that will fade, that will break, but a heavenly home, eternal, perfect, and secured for us because of the gospel. We get to be a part of that. We get to be the gospel at work as we encourage one another, as we pray for one another in the good times and in the bad times. I would be very, I would hope that Paul would give thanks to God for all the work that he's been doing here at Christ Central, both as a church and also through the individuals, you and I, when we give our lives through service, through just being present with one another. And Paul does exactly that. He doesn't just give thanks for the Colossians. He also singles out this man named Epaphras. You see in verse 7, as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, there's two things and only two things we know about him. Not, not what he's done, not where he goes. He know that he is faithful as a teacher and he is reliable as a messenger. 
Most likely, Epaphras taught the Colossians about the gospel. He helps share the news through his life, through his ministry, whatever that may have looked like. But he also was invaluable in providing mutual encouragement to Paul and the church. If Epaphras never went, we may have never gotten this letter from Paul. And yet because Epaphras went, the Colossians were encouraged and you and I could be encouraged as we see God at work in this church, as we see God at work here at Christ Central. And so it's the work of ordinary people like Epaphras who are simply faithful and reliable. And, that, and for that, we give thanks to God because he works through people such as these, such as you. And so we see from Paul, when he hears about the gospel at work in the Colossians, he gives thanks to God. But he doesn't just stop there. What he does when he initially thanks God, he also is led and driven to pray for the Colossians that he gives thanks for. That leads us to our second point, the prayer that Paul lifts up. Because what Paul does, he doesn't just simply give thanks, move on, and nothing else. He actually repeats a lot of the same phrases from the thanksgiving to the prayer. If you go to the next slide, you'll see that I just picked out a couple of them. You see them? Some of the phrases are exactly the same almost word for word in the original language. Some of them, they, sh they share a similar root, but all that, Paul, what is he doing here in connecting this thanksgiving to his prayer? Paul wants the Colossians not just to experience once the work of the gospel, but he prays that they continually, consistently experience the work of God as the, pow as the power of the gospel powerfully goes forth. And so he prays for them in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to 10, that they be filled with the knowledge of his will. And this language of being filled with the knowledge and being filled with spiritual wisdom, it has an echo from Exodus 31, verse 3 to 4. It's speaking about this man named Bezalel. Again, just similar to Epaphras, we don't know much. Bezalel, we really don't know much. But the one thing that Bezalel was called to do, the one thing that this passage in Exodus 31, verse 3 to 4 is for that he was filled with the spirit of God, filled with the knowledge of wisdom to devise artistic designs for the tabernacle of God, for the very presence of God, for the dwelling place of God. He was equipped, filled, and commissioned to build this for the glory of God. In that same way, Paul is picking up on that language. He wants you just as much as he wants the Colossians, he wants you to be filled with the knowledge of his will and with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What does he mean by the knowledge of his will? This is not the knowledge of God's secret will, the things that only God would know, like what's the weather gonna be like tomorrow exactly at certain times, what's going to happen here or there. There are certain things that we don't know because the Bible tells us the secret things belong to the Lord. But when it talks about the knowledge of his will, it's talking about God's revealed will. What did God do in the Old Testament? How did he prove himself faithful, a God of his promises? What did God do in Christ as they hear about all these things and the gospel is spreading to know what God has done in the Old Testament, to know what God has done in Christ, and also to know what God has commanded his people to do in response, in light of everything that he has done. Paul wants them to be filled with this knowledge, but also to be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding. You know, most of us, you know, we've been giving, given common sense 
to reason and to rationalize different things in life, to navigate life to differing degrees. He's given us common sense, all of us, so that we could do this. But what, he, what Paul asks for is not just common sense, a spirit of wisdom to discern what is most pleasing and most glorifying to God. Only by the Spirit to derive from this knowledge of everything God has done to now see what is the appropriate response God calls us to do. Again, Paul doesn't want just, you understand the gospel, great, you're done, now live your life. He wants them to continue to experience the gospel over and over so as to, as verse 10 says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And talking about walking, he's talking about living. All that you do, all that you say, your entire life walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. In verse 10 to 12, he gives examples of what that looks like. It looks like bearing fruit. It looks like growing in the knowledge of God, which he's just prayed for. It looks like being strengthened with the strength of his might. This is very intentional for Paul. I've kind of made it blocky so you can tell. Strength, strength, might. Giving thanks, as Paul is doing. All the work of the gospel that they've already experienced, Paul wants them to continue doing that, to continue to be filled, continue to be strengthened as they have before, so they are to continue. For what purpose? You would think, man, being filled with the power of God to be strengthened, to be able to give thanks, growing in knowledge, God will set us up to do great things, amazing things. And he might, but Paul doesn't have the great extraordinary things in mind. He doesn't say, now go forth and do amazing things for God. Paul says in verse 11, he prays all these things that they be filled with it. Verse 11, for all endurance, patience, and joy. Endurance, patience, and joy. Not great things, just endurance, patience, and joy. So ordinary. But I think it's when we realize how difficult life can be, how many unknowns they are, that the things such as endurance, patience, and joy help us to see the steadfastness, the comfort of, and the powerful foundation that is our God for this life, for all endurance, patience, and joy. And so we've seen Paul's prayer for the Colossians. And I want to ask us this morning, do we pray this for ourselves? These verses that we've just read, do we pray this for ourselves? I mean, we might pray for strength to get through work, Make sure we handle our, all our responsibilities well. We might pray for patience for our kids. We might pray for patience for our parents, that we'd be patient with them as we deal with them. We might pray, God, would you heal? Would you strengthen those who are sick, those who are weary, whether it be our friends, our children, our parents, whoever else. And perhaps my favorite for what youth students always ask for, God, help me to do well on my test this week. They're all praying for comfort, for guidance, for strength. And in times of difficulty, when you have comfort, it brings peace. In times of difficulty, when you have comfort, it brings peace. And Paul instructs us to pray for peace, to pray so that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're encouraged to pray for these things. We should pray for these things. We should pray for comfort in times of difficulty, to find peace. But the only 
issue becomes when we pray for comfort in times of peace. That doesn't just lead to peace, it leads to complacency. Comfort in times of difficulty brings peace, but comfort in times of peace brings complacency. And the Bible encourages us not to pray in that way, not just to pray for an answer, not just to pray to get something, but in order that we may get God. Again, in another example where Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Before we even pray, give us this day our daily bread. To get God first, not just what God gives. And so we ask again, do we pray this to know God, to get God, to live worthily for God? Because brothers and sisters, the greatest danger that you and I face is not missed opportunities. It's not missed promotions. It's not, ah, oh, I wish I did that sooner. The greatest danger that you and I face is missing God. Missing God. Perhaps it's not some theological heresy, some twisting of Christian doctrine that's enticing us to turn away from God, to turn away from Christ, but perhaps it's the good things in life. It's our careers. It's our desires to travel. It's our desires to receive all this entertainment, to do well in sports, whether ourselves or our kids, or even just for comfort. Are all of those things numbing us from really dealing with the state of our spiritual health? Again, none of these things are wrong. I want to make that very clear. It is good, and I encourage those things, but at the expense of losing God, that's what the Colossians were in danger of. That's what you and I, that's what our greatest danger is. Perhaps this is put no more clearly and no more sharply than this one pastor and writer, A.W. Tozer. He writes this, our trouble is that we have established bad thought habits. We habitually think of the visible world as real and doubt the reality of any other. We do not deny the existence of the spiritual world, but we doubt that it is real in the accepted meaning of the word. In other words, real, pertinent, actually important for now. And he continues later on by saying, we have been too blind to see or too timid to speak out or too self-satisfied to desire anything better than the poor average diet with which others appear satisfied. Rather than get God to be satisfied with anything else, have we done that? Do we pray this prayer or do we simply pray, God, just give me what I need so I can go on with my life? Paul doesn't want us to pray that way. Paul doesn't want us to be satisfied in that way. Paul wants us not to just taste, not just to experience it, but to be filled with the knowledge of God because we, he knows that the Colossians need this prayer, that we need this prayer, that I need this prayer that the only way we can endure in this life is by knowing and growing in the knowledge of God. To know the truth of what God has done because we can't be spiritually healthy if we actually don't know who God is or what he did. Not just to know so that we may be healthy, but also to experience this truth in word and prayer as we regularly meet with God. And finally, to live and walk in truth as Paul prayed to bear fruits, to be strengthened, to give thanks always for all endurance, patience, and joy. 
endurance, patience, and joy that lasts. And so we see here, as much as Paul gives thanks for the Colossians, he also prays that that not be the end, that they be filled with the knowledge of God. And so we ask, but how? How can they be filled? We may ask ourselves, how can we be filled when there's so many unknowns, when one day life is going okay and the next day works, something's going wrong? when it seems like we can't get our families under control, when it seems like we can't get our health under control, how can we be filled when so many things are either distracting or draining us? It's for this we turn back to the wisdom of Elsa in Frozen 2. You see, in the song, it starts with fear and dread, anxiety of, I don't know if I want to go. But the point, the turn in the song comes when she finds that there's something more something greater. I'll read the verse for us. When she's talking about the voice, she says to the voice, or are you someone out there who's a little bit like me, who knows deep down I'm not where I'm meant to be? Someone like me that knows I'm not where I'm, not, not where I'm meant to be. In the midst of this unknown, Elsa senses there must be someone, somewhere that's more like home than where she currently is is in that same way how can this prayer of paul how can all the unknowns that we're going to face today in this new year for the rest of our lives how can all of that ever be good it's when we also find this someone and the somewhere where all this becomes true and good and that leads us to our last point which paul leads us to this last point how all of this can be good Because if we were to sum up Paul's letter so far, this could be one way you could sum it up. You did well. This is what I want for your life. And now he's getting to the third part, the space. You did well. This is what I want for your life. If I were to be Paul in a situation, in any other situation, I would be, now go do these things. This space naturally invites us, what shall we do? You're saying we've experienced. You're saying we should be filled. How do we get filled? What shall we do? Where shall we turn to? It's in that space that Paul immediately, almost without skipping a beat, turns us to the one who is the source of all our life. The father who qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's Colossians 1 verse 12. Almost without skipping a beat, giving thanks to the father who qualified you. This inheritance of the saints in light. And when Paul is talking about this inheritance, it's about this somewhere where we belong, the true home for the people of God, the place where there is eternal rest, which God has promised over and over and over again in the Old Testament. And even if we're not familiar with the Old Testament, there's a part of us that aches for this, for a place where there's no more pain, no more sickness, no more death, no more wars, no more division, No more brokenness. God promised as an inheritance, but the problem was, and Paul alludes to this in this verse, we were once not qualified. If the Father has qualified us, there was once a time where we were not qualified. And initially, for us here, most of us would not have been qualified because we were not part of the ethnic nation that God had chosen as his people. But more fundamentally, all of humanity was not qualified, was disqualified because of our sins. 
Because of our sins, they separated us from God. So rather than the inheritance of the saints in light, left to nothing but the domain of darkness, despair, misery, and eventual death for our sins. See, this is what was our destiny. Into the darkness, into the unknown, without any hope. But God intervened. As Paul quickly goes to in Colossians 1, 13 to 14, he intervenes, and though we were sinners, deserving nothing but God's wrath, God delivered us from the domain of darkness. He pulled us out from there. And what did he do? He placed us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Now we have not hopelessness, not despair, but redemption and forgiveness of sins. In other words, for God's people, all whom he has done this for, all whom he has delivered, their eternal destiny in heaven, it's secured. It's for them. Nothing can do, nothing can take this away because God, the most all-powerful one who promised is also the one who brings them to this place, to heaven. Well, if somewhere is heaven, then who is the someone? It is God, but how did he do it? How did he do it? Someone that knows that we don't belong here. Someone that's like us, even just a little bit. What God did, he gave us someone, his promised son. This promised son promised all the way in Isaiah would be filled with the same knowledge and spirits that Paul was praying that we be filled with, but he would be indwelt by it fully, completely. He would come like us in every way except he would not sin, have no sin in him. He would see that this home was not our home. And yet he would also see that left to ourselves, we had absolutely no hope of getting home, lost in the domain of darkness. And so what would he do? This promised son, he would come down as our representative like us and substitute to take our place so that in his life, in perfectly obeying God, we would get every benefit Every blessing that God promised for his people, we would get. Through his death, every sin, every curse that we deserved would, fall, would not fall on us, it would fall on him. And we would instead receive forgiveness of sins. Through his life, through his death, and then through his resurrection, being raised to life, you and I would be raised to newness of life. You and I would see the hope of heaven secured, the down payment awaiting for the day when we rise with Christ to eternal glory. Who is this son? This is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the King of Kings, the one whom in, in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. Again, Paul loves to pull from Old Testament, pull from other people. He pulls this from Jesus. In Matthew 26, verse 20 to 29, when Jesus himself uses these same words, when he is instituting the Last Supper, which we will partake in a little while, he says that this blood is the covenant. Is the bl this blood, my blood, is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll be cleaned. No sin. No guilt. Completely clean. Completely made whole. Completely accepted. But also look at what Jesus says afterwards. I'm going to see you in my Father's kingdom. If you've been healed, if you've been cleansed, you will join him. 
to enjoy the greatest feast of fullness in Christ's kingdom, in God's kingdom. And this is what Christ did. He was sufficient on our behalf through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. And Paul is telling us, Paul is telling the Colossians, don't turn away. You see this Christ whom you started your faith with? You see this Christ when you heard the gospel, you gave your life and confessed that he is your Lord and Savior? Do not turn away from him, but instead be filled with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because what, Christ, what Paul wants for us is this, for us to make Christ central in our lives so that we may live. It's really what it is. That when Christ becomes central, there we find life. There we find hope. Not just for eternity, which Christ secures for us, but in every day of our lives. As he fills us with his spirit, as he gives us a lasting joy, a unshakable hope which will never change and will never fail us. So that when we enter the unknown of a season, of a year, of our lives, we can rest in the one thing that we know, that Christ truly lived, died, and was raised for me, that the gospel is true. Therefore, all this becomes good. Every unknown, every prayer, every thanksgiving becomes good because the gospel is true. And that's Paul's encouragement to the Colossians, turn to Christ. And that's our encouragement for you, especially as we end 2023 and enter into what is unknown in 2024, the one encouragement that we have, the one encouragement that Paul leaves us with is to look to Christ, behold Christ, turn to Christ, never turn away from Christ. For in him, we find all that we need for eternal life, but also for life in the unknown. Because we know our destiny. We know our destination. And we know that Christ has done everything to get us there. So now all he calls us to do is to live for him, trust in him, and grow in him as we await that final day. And so Christ Central, may that be my encouragement to you. As we finish 2023, go to 2024, look to Christ. Behold Christ. Never turn away. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that you've given us what we need. That you've given us Christ in whom we have not just forgiveness, but truly our eternal destiny secured. And with that secured, knowing that, God, if you would not spare your own son, what more good thing would you hold away from us? And so, God, I ask and pray Encourage us, strengthen us in whatever season we're going through and whatever season we will enter. God, help us to fix our eyes, fix our hearts on him. God, we thank you so much for this time. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.